Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Congressman Brian Higgins joining us. Congressman, good morning. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Congressman, doing well this morning. Uh, let's start where uh, the discussion has been since about 1014 on Friday. Uh, the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade. Uh, your, your thoughts on the decision? Well, it's the first time in U.S. history that the Supreme Court has eliminated and established uh, an established constitutional right involving the most fundamental of human concerns, and that's the dignity and the freedom to decide what to do with one's own body. And that means that about 64 million American women of childbearing age will have less influence over that than they did before Friday. What do you believe, if any, the response from Congress, the response from Senate, from the president should be? Well, we should seek to codify uh, 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 a woman's right to uh, explicitly a woman's right uh, to do what she feels uh, in consultation with her physician. Uh, She feels that she needs to do with her own reproductive health care. I think that is an established right that uh, was first established by a majority court 72 um, including Republicans, including the Chief Justice, that was Republican. So I think that will be the response both at uh, at the federal level and at the state level. Uh, as you know, uh, this ruling will trigger immediate bans in some states uh, with so-called trigger laws and uh, major restrictions uh, in others, uh, dramatically reshaping access to a procedure again, that has been protected as a constitutional right in America since 1972. We heard from Governor Kristi Noem uh, in the last segment, and she said that this uh, this should always have been a state's uh, decision. This should always have been in the hands of the state. And if people in the states that have banned abortion don't like it, they can get active in politics. What's your response to that? Well, I think that if you look at the history of the court over 50 years, uh, it was established uh, this uh, constitutional right uh, to a women's uh, reproductive uh, rights. And it was reaffirmed uh, throughout the history of the court uh, many times by both uh, Republican uh, appointed and Democratic appointed uh, justices of the Supreme Court. So I disagree uh, 
with uh, what uh, the governor has said uh, and uh, believe that this is a right that should be upheld. So, uh, you know, you can look at issues like uh, maternal mortality, uh, deaths of women uh, during pregnancy. Uh, U.S., the United States bears the chilling distinction of being the most dangerous place in the industrialized world. Uh, to give birth, infant mortality, over 20,000 infants die before their first birthday. Uh, these are problems that uh, need to be addressed uh, in, in, the, in the context of, of being pro-life and, and protecting uh, the rights of, of mothers and, and newly born infants. The Supreme Court, as you know, uh, Congressman, it, it was a 5-4 decision uh, for Roe versus Wade. And uh, would you agree with the response, because we've heard this, of packing the court? Would you, is there anything you would do in response to the Supreme Court itself? Well, I would just ask that the, first of all, the, the, the Supreme Court has been in place for 233 years. Uh, the numbers have changed uh, throughout that history, but public opinion of the court is political, of callous in some uh, opinions, uh, opinion polls uh, have been ascribed uh, to the court. So I think it's more the consistency that we're looking at. Give you an example of the five justices uh, that voted to overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, one included the chief justice who admonished his fellow justices that he leads you know, in that court uh, to adhere to the principles of judicial restraint. And then he turned around and voted with them to overturn uh, this landmark uh, 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 achievement. So I think I would look for more consistency and less politicalization. I mean, you have justices Alito and Thomas who are right-wing extremists who have spoken to right-wing extreme groups uh, in a very, very political nature. Uh, Justice Thomas has said that this is not the end of it. We're going after more rights, constitutional rights of more Americans, and that's something that should disturb every American. Uh, the, the Supreme Court, in many cases, has lost its credibility, and, uh, and this is a problem uh, that every American should be concerned with, regardless of where they stand on the political spectrum. Uh, Justice Thomas, uh, his spouse, uh, is alleged, and there is very compelling evidence, to have been behind the deadly attack on the United States uh, Capitol, a seditious act to subvert uh, the Constitution uh, that, uh, that, you know, Justice Thomas is empowered uh, to to interpret. Uh, this is very, very disturbing. Also uh, at the Supreme Court this week, uh, they struck down the New York, a New York uh, law on guns. Um, what was your thought on that? That was a 6-3 decision. Uh, and I believe that came down just before the president signed the gun legislation that had passed a few days ago. Okay, so this is the fundamental contradiction. This is the fundamental hypocrisy. This is an issue where uh, the states are saying in one decision, let's give the states and the elected representatives of those states the authority to make a decision uh, as it relates to reproductive health care rights. And then they're saying the states who have taken decisive action to keep their people safe by concealed carry laws where you can't just go into a public place with a gun – they're saying uh, that's, that's unconstitutional. 
there is a fundamental conflict there. There is hypocrisy there that cannot be tolerated. And you're either going to stand by the principle of your decision or you're not. And there is the most recent example over a two-day period where the Supreme Court has been fundamentally in conflict with what it says ought to be ought to occur in the states versus that as our national laws. So that happens at the Supreme Court. And then I believe yesterday, President Biden signed a gun legislation package. What is in that? What what are the laws that will be in place? Uh, modest uh, improvements, but improvements nonetheless. Uh, it was a bipartisan agreement for the first time in 40 years. Uh, I believe 14 Republicans in the Senate supported it. Uh, legislation that overwhelmingly was approved in the House. It provides for money to implement so-called red flag laws. But keep in mind, red flag laws didn't work in New York as it related to the Buffalo shooter. That individual was engaged in activity last year as it relates to his school and about gun violence. And yet he was still able to to uh, to purchase uh, a gun without a comprehensive background check and without an effective uh, 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 adherence. Uh, to the red flag law. It would prevent convicted domestic abusers from buying or possessing a gun. Uh, that's a good thing. It strengthens existing laws uh, on, as, it respects, as, it, as it relates to firearms. But there's nothing compelling here. There's nothing landmark. And when you look at you know, the statistics, you know, the Centers for Disease Control uh, says that the leading cause of death for kids, for children, in America is gun violence. 110 Americans die every day in America from gun violence. There have been 250 mass shootings so far this year attributed to gun violence. Our own police right here in Buffalo are outgunned and outprotected and outarmored uh, by the bad guys. There have been 27 school shootings this year. Uh, where is our humanity? Where is our ability to do a comprehensive ban on assault weapons, of which there are 11 million circulating in America today. They're designed to do one thing, kill as many people as quickly as possible. Keep in mind the shooting in Buffalo, the shooting in Buffalo lasted 123 seconds. That's two minutes in three seconds. One shooter, one assault rifle with a 30-year veteran of the Buffalo Police Department, Aaron Salter, who was in the store and armed, he was rendered helpless despite the fact that he saved people's lives he couldn't stop the shooter because the shooter outgunned him and had protective gear where there was a limited impact on the shots that the police officer the security guard at tops fired at that shooter uh, if you look at uh, sandy hook in newtown connecticut uh, the shooting started at 9 35 in the morning in december of 2012 it ended at, 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 I'm sorry, 9.35 in the morning, and it ended at 9.40. Five minutes, one shooter who shot his mother, who gave him the gun before he went to the school campus and shot 26 people, including 20 kids, between the ages of five and seven years old. Uh, obviously, there is a trend here that if we are really going to uh, do something about gun violence, uh, you have to uh, uh, restrict uh, who can carry a gun generally by extensive background checks, which 85% of the American people support, and a comprehensive ban uh, on assault weapons. Unless and until that happens, we know that mass shootings, of which there have been 250 
a mass shooting defined as four or more people dead. 250 mass shootings in America this year alone. And we still have several months left of this year. So, you know, I think we need to get back to the fundamentals. And, you know, Joe, let me just say this. Uh, you know, comprehensive background checks have nothing to do with anybody's constitutional rights. But there is an overall right uh, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There is an overall responsibility that our nation has to its people and to keep those people safe from gun violence. We are failing miserably. So I supported this legislation. It is a step in, in, in the right direction. It is bipartisan. It is the first uh, a comprehensive package within uh, 40 years, but it doesn't go far enough to really address the problem that exists in America today. And we experienced it right here in Buffalo five weeks ago. Are you hopeful that there will be more bipartisan work in the, um, in the houses of government in Washington after, um, after this passing? I do. You know, to paraphrase Martin Luther King, you know, the, 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 the arc of the moral universe bends uh, uh, slowly, but it bends toward justice. And uh, my hope is that uh, these members in the Senate that came together uh, will find the wisdom uh, to say uh, truthfully and ask themselves, you know, do any of these laws that we enacted, we just enacted, uh, that were just signed into law by the president, uh, would they have stopped the Buffalo shooter? Uh you know, it's debatable. Uh, would it have stopped uh, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooter? Would, have, would it have stopped uh, the shooter at Uvalde? Uh, the, the shooter at Uvalde, 18 years old, shoots his grandmother in the face before he goes and kills 19 kids at a school. Uh, there, is, there, are, there is a common denominator here. And unless and until these laws fundamentally address uh, the, the current weaknesses in our system that allows people that just shouldn't have guns. You know, it's, it's often said, and you see this on, on bumper stickers a lot, those who are Second Amendment uh, purists or absolutists, they'll say that, you know, the best way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a, with a gun. Well, you know what? Officer Aaron Salter was a good guy with a gun and had 30 years of experience in the handling of that gun as a Buffalo police officer. And he didn't stand a chance. So the bad guy won out because he overpowered in terms of weaponry, uh, the, 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 the security guard at, at, at Topps Market. And you see this consistently. Look, there's a gun culture out there, and particularly rural people believe that is their right to bear arms to, to protect their families. I understand that. I understand that nobody wants their guns. Most... Uh, gun owners are highly responsible and adhere to the strictest of, of safety when it comes to the storage and uh, possession of their guns. We need to honor that the, the, the integrity of gun ownership, but you only undermine the integrity of gun ownership when people should not have guns. Another bumper sticker that's out there is gun control is a steady hand. Well, a steady, steady hand requires a sound mind. And that's why, you know, you need background checks and red flag laws that are effective uh, to ensure that those who have demonstrated an extreme risk to themselves and to others are not allowed to possess uh, guns of, of any kind. And those who support the Second Amendment could also, I believe, support uh, that, that premise that there are just certain people in this, this country that should not possess guns. And that's why, as you know, there's a heavy emphasis also in this bill 
on mental health services, on securing schools, you know, and last year's schools and colleges spent uh, $3.5 billion on school safety uh, measures to to do what can be done to ensure that what happens at it happened at Sandy Hook 10 years ago and what happened in at, at Uvalde uh, a couple of weeks ago does not occur. But when we still have uh, 27 school shootings this year, obviously that money is not having the intended effect. Congressman, what do you think about the body armor? Is that something that needs to be addressed uh, at the national level? Yeah, I think so. You know, again, uh, keep in mind that the, the, the Buffalo shooter was at that store at least three times uh, before uh, the, uh, the actual event of May 14th. So why did he wear body armor? Because in, in, in going to the store prior to uh, May 14th, he saw that there was an armed officer in there. So what does he do? He, you know, puts on body armor and tactical gear to ensure that that officer can't stop him. Now, if that shooter did not have the protective equipment, Officer Salter probably would have stopped him, not you know, stopping the three killings that occurred in the parking lot because that was outside the store. But once he got in the store, 10 other people were shot, including police officer, retired uh, Salter. So without that body army, armor, uh, the, the police officer who was there to protect people could have been much more effective in taking down the shooter, but he couldn't. In fact, as you know, the shooter was taken into custody without having been shot or injured from his shots. So, yeah, I think some people just clearly should not have this body armor, which allows them uh, to go into these these public places or quasi-public places and kill a lot of people in a very short period of time. Again, the, 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 the Buffalo shooter shot 13 people. Uh, 10 of whom are dead uh, in two minutes and three seconds with an armed, experienced uh, police officer present. So the body armor issue needs to be looked at. And uh, Chris Jacobs, Grace Mang, and I uh, have legislation to do just that. Congressman, before I let you go, I do have a question about the January 6th committee. And my, my question is, you know, it's we've seen that now, I believe, five hearings in the last two weeks. And, and, and my point is, you know, many on the right agree that the morons on January 6th should be prosecuted and, and char- charged and prosecuted. Right. I think most on the right are in, gre- are in agreement. But a lot of people on the right see the people on the January 6th committee and see just a bunch of people that don't like the former president. Do you think Nancy Pelosi was wrong to not allow someone like Jim Jordan on that committee? I think more importantly, uh, the individuals who are testifying are people that have acknowledged that they supported uh, President Trump and they are providing chilling and very compelling evidence that the president was trying to steal, President Trump was trying to steal the election by asking Republican, conservative election officials, particularly in Georgia, to to just find the votes. And the president, President Trump's very own Homeland Security official that was responsible for overseeing the election, 
testified repeatedly that this was a fair and free election. So both in terms of the electoral votes and the popular vote, President Biden won. There's no disputing that. And all of the lawsuits, there were 70 lawsuits filed in state courts. They were all dismissed for lack of evidence. So, you know, there are Republicans on the committee. And there are Republicans on the committee that, you know, are very courageous uh, in the face of receiving death threats and threats to their lives and their families. So I think, you know, you can, you can, you can this is not a perfect process. It's, it, it never is. But I will tell you, the, the testimony of individuals that were members of the Trump administration and that acknowledged their support of President Trump are providing, I think, very compelling evidence. So I think that's where the American people will make a decision. It's not on how the committee was constructed. I don't agree with everybody that's on there, and nobody will ever agree with that. What's most important is the evidence, very clear and compelling evidence that's being advanced uh, during this investigation. Five people died that day. This was not a dust-up. This was a blatant, premeditated attack on our Constitution, on the United States Capitol. You, you, think, you look back on, 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 on 9-11-2001, that people were appalled that the United States could be attacked from an outside force. And yet, on January 6th, the United States Capitol, our democracy, was trying to, they were attempting to subvert it uh, in the peaceful passage of power, not by a foreign influence, but by a domestic influence. So let's allow the committee to do its work, to continue to take testimony, and to recognize that this is not a bunch of partisan folks that are making an argument against a former president. These are people that were, that were in his presence that day and the days preceding and the days after. And I think that is where the focus of the American people is and should be. Congressman Brian Higgins, as always, thanks for joining me this morning. Thanks very much. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.